Hello and welcome to Only Fools and Brotherly Forces, the Only Fools and Horses rewatch podcast with me, Bobby, and for the last time, reviewing an Only Fools and Horses episode, my brother Jamie. Good evening, Jamie. A very good evening, Bobby. And a very good evening to everyone else, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, lads and lasses, punters, geezers, sorts and birds. That's my uh, intro. Um, welcome to the... That, that uh, was a longer list than I expected. Yeah. <laughs> I was, was like, going to go... a sec. <laughs> I was going to go longer, but that'll do. Um, <laughs> yeah, we are we are here. It is the, the actual finale. It's the last episode of Only Fools and Horses that will... Whatever of you, what a journey! Yeah, seems odd. It's both um, tragic and satisfying and relieving all at the same time. <laughs> I'm a massive completionist. <laughs> I have that problem where whenever I start anything, I'm I'm desperate to finish it. Yet when it's finished, I'm also furious that it's finished. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. It's like, well, I've completed. I have that with games, TV series, you know, anything work related. I had there was a new series that I watched recently that was really long episodes, and it was like twelve episodes a season and eight seasons, and I couldn't watch it fast enough. I was like, oh, I need to consume it. Need more of it. I've not watched enough of it. And then it finished, and I was like, oh no. There's no more of the thing I like. <laughs> what have I done? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this is so this is the final one. Um I feel like normally it would be unlike us to give give away too much early on. But I think it's safe to say that we were not particularly positive about the last couple of episodes. Indeed. So I would like to just start by maybe relaxing everyone a little bit. And I think it's safe to say that this is the best of the three. I enjoyed the episode, and I'm I'm very much looking forward to discussing it. Yeah, I wasn't sure if we were going to give that away early, but I think if uh, we have received a couple of messages from people that did really like these episodes, and it's it's hard to be on that same wavelength. But they're accepting of differences of opinion, and you know we're still all friends, um, and and that's all fine. I mean, they're better people than we are because they said we can agree to disagree when we've just <laughs> thought, well, you've got shit taste. <laughs> uh, sorry, that one guy. Um, but no, uh, this, I, I am really happy to uh, to put that foundation down that, that this is going to be a good and fun episode and I did enjoy it and not even more than some of the sort of other episodes sort of prior to this. This was... It was strong in loads of different ways, so I'm really happy to do that. And if you were not sure if you could handle another hour or so of us slagging stuff off, then you're in for a, a smoother sailing ride for sure. Yeah, not to say there won't be some of those moments, but there's they're going to be much fewer and far between. I mean, I said at the start of last episode, and I was pretty sure that it was true that I I barely knew this episode, and watching it, I remembered pretty much nothing like this was for me like a brand new episode i must have only seen this once in my life did you know the conclusion even not really i i pretty much knew nothing i mean by the end i was like i had a vague idea that maybe that came up at some point but n- nothing really so it 
that was that was really fun. The thing that destroyed me a little bit was um, having ever only seen this episode, I think once before. I mentioned about I don't know a couple of series ago that this episode was on I don't know UK TV Gold or something, and I watched the last ten fifteen minutes, so I knew how it ended. Just because it, it I was doing something else while it was on, and uh, and I knew how the last couple of scenes ended. Had, had I have not seen that, I would have had no idea where this was going. But it 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 wasn't too uh, it wasn't too bad to have that sort of spoiler there. So just one small uh, piece of housekeeping. So in regards to the uh, Brotherly Forces timeline. Next week, we will be doing um, sort of a look back over the series is is, or the show in general. We're going to talk about some of our favourite episodes, chucking a bit of different fun, fun trivia, maybe a few questions, and, and just have a bit of fun. So uh, join us for that next week. Uh, this is going to be your last chance to get in a message if you want to send us some love or some hate, if you want to tell us your favourite bits of either Only Fools or anything that, that we discussed that you particularly liked that we can have a laugh at. If you want to point us out as wrong for anything, then you can send it in and we'll ignore it. You know, anything. Go for it. You know, we've received, we've we've been on the internet in public now for over a year with, you know, many thousands of listens. And have not received one piece of hate mail, which, to be fair, means we must be doing something wrong. If you haven't pissed anyone off, then you're clearly, like, not doing your job properly. So, into the episode. We always mention the, the name of the episode, if it has an interesting story behind it. I mean, first of all, did you see the working title for this episode? Oh, you saw the working title this time, and I didn't. Yeah. Oh, no. interesting. I mean, it's it's awful. I can see what they were trying to do, but it's another shocking one. It's... Plonkers don't have to. Yeah, I think these working titles aren't ever going to be like, they're not like shortlisted for actual titles. They're literally like, this is what we're going to call it because it doesn't have a name yet. Like working titles are often just, it has a name, so we can brandish it and label it something. It's never actually planned to do it. <laughs> those those two names are quite similar, aren't they? What was that from? Yeah. Bravo, you can do it or something. We, this is obviously meant to be like, why do only fools and horses work? Plonkers don't have to. I'm thinking is the kind of the joke, which is, I mean, vaguely. But surely plonkers do have to. I don't know. I mean, they've gotten away with it, but <laughs> I've actually got. I don't know if this is an interesting story or not, but I'm going to tell it anyway, and you can decide in the edit. <laughs> Talking of uh, stand-in titles being crap, we actually had this problem last year with some uh, Christmas beer we'd put in as like just working titles. Um, light Christmas beer, dark Christmas beer, and fun Christmas beer as our three like sh- uh, like supermarket Christmas beers that we were going to make, and had been very clear that these were stand-in titles. We then worked very hard to come up with better names. However, by the time we did, the distributors had already submitted those stand-in names, and they were out there in the ether and unchangeable. <laughs> and so we had to label the beers that. Light Christmas beer. Light Christmas beer, dark Christmas beer, fun Christmas beer. <laughs> <laughs> Calling anything fun something is pretty terrible. Yeah, it sounds slightly less shit in Norwegian. Is beer just beer in Norwegian? 
It was ul, as in ale. Ah, uh, so something yul ul, is it? Yeah, gay yul ul. Gay yul ul. That even sounds terrible. I think gay, I imagine, is from the same etymology as gay. And then yula, mm. yule, Christmas, ul, ale. There you go, everyone. You've just learned some Norwegian. Gay Christmas <laughs> ale. I'm up for some gay Christmas ale. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, they sold, but I was stunned by it. <laughs> Into it? Let's do it. Oh, no, no, wait, no, I haven't actually made my point. Um... Is <laughs> <laughs> there a point? I thought that was it. That was the working title, yeah. but of course the actual title is Sleepless in Peckham. Yeah. Um, I, did you get the reference? Well, Sleepless in Seattle yeah. is a very famous film. Yes, yeah, I'm assuming it's that as well. Although I don't see why, because I don't really see what that film has to do in any way with this episode. But I, don't, I don't know anything about it. It's like 10 years before this was released, what so was, it's a very what was random thing. In Seattle? Like, what was the premise? It's a Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks rom-com. I thought it was Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. Yeah, it was, yeah it's, they've, they've done that and like You Got Mail and I think another one as well. But it, it, it's all right. Tom Hanks is a, um, a widower and his kid phones into a radio station and sets him up with Meg Ryan, who I think is... I'm bored already. Yeah. Well, that is more than enough rambling and preamble. Let's get into the last episode, the Only Fools and Horses finale, Sleepless in Peckham. Stick a pony in me I'll fetch the suitcase from the van. Well, the first scene, and it wouldn't be right if we opened anywhere else but the flat... I'm not going to lie, uh, the first few seconds I just had this bit of feeling in my stomach. There was uh, just a, a realisation very early that this was the last time I was going to do this. I mean, not the last time I watched the episode, obviously, but, you know, my appetite was wet. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's a, it's it's a fun opening. So we've now got Cass as big as a house, ready to pop, it seems. Uh, talking about all her pregnancy cravings. Rolos and bacon, is that one you'd go for, Jamie? Uh, yeah, probably would, actually. It it made me think of, um, and it seems weird to do a tangent in the first scene on the first line, but um, when, I was <laughs> going in, to anyway. when I was in school with all the guys that did the, the band video that we discussed once before, that there's just, everything that we did was just almost satirical in what we, what we wanted to do. And the school did a... Um, like a bake-off sort of thing. What's it called? Like the red tomato, green pepper, ready, steady, oh, cook. cook, won't cook. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. The, the school did yeah. one of these. I think it was even like after school hours. And literally no one was up for it. So me and my satirical jokey mates uh, decided to enter, but basically just take the piss out of it. So one of them did a pot noodle. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> I can't remember one of the other ones, but the star of the show was a bacon cake, which was basically just a Victorian, sp- a Victorian sponge with fried bacon in it. Right. Firstly, how do I not know that story? And second of all, that sounds bloody awful. It was actually all right. Bacon cake is not I- horrible. I'm one of these people who, um, and not just like I'm sort of anti-American principle, but I really don't like sweet 
and bacon, like the whole syrup on bacon thing. I've tried it so many times. I just, I just can't do it. I'm, no. I'm not interested. I'm not having it. But anyway, uh, Damien is still looking like and acting like a complete twat. If some kid went to school in the attire that he is wearing, they would be guaranteed to get bullied. Like, I don't know how he thinks that that's fine to wear. Yeah, in, e- in East London as well, he's getting himself in all sorts of trouble. So we quite quickly wander into the kitchen and we have an interesting little chat uh, between Raquel and Del. And it basically transpires that Del says he just can't trust Rodney at all. And he's still trying to micromanage the business as much as he can. Despite the fact that Rodney is meant to be the one in charge now. Oh dear, what's the matter with him? Why would you never let him do things on his own? I can't let Rodney go out with the business in his hands, can I? He come back with a bag of magic beads. <laughs> I really liked that little uh, little dig because it's something we've spoken about a lot. And then I, I liked even more so that Raquel then took her chance to, to dig Dell out straight afterwards, pointing out that he's not exactly uh, Richard Branson himself. There was something about just this opening scene... I, I don't know, the jokes just felt really genuine. Like they came out of nowhere. Del says something about uh, Raquel having loads of cravings for tuna and kissing her in the morning tasted like Japan. And it's just like so abstract. I properly laughed at that. And he's talking about the uh, Cassandra and Rodney's baby being so skinny that they're just going to pop it out and they're going to need a goalie. So just before I started... Bobby was 15 minutes ahead of me. We watched it literally just prior to coming on mic again. And you said, oh, I'm really enjoying these fair 15 minutes, just to let you know. And I think it just put me in, a, in the right mood. But even in the right, even without that, the first five to ten sort of one-liner jokes in this just didn't see them coming, and they just hit. And I, I laughed. I laughed like ten times in the first ten minutes of this episode. And I think it just put me in a great mood that really helped sort of follow on from there. Yeah, I, I was immediately at ease, unlike with the other episodes, and I'm, I've no idea what it was. Everything just felt more comfortable. I don't know if everyone's just in the swing of it, maybe. They've, this is their third year in a row. They're all kind of back on the on the roll, both writing and acting-wise. But yeah, it, it was really great. And uh, the jokes are funny, and I felt... All the, all the characterization was all so good, and this is something just throughout the episode. So we get this moment now where it turns out that Dell's keeping secrets from Rodney about, you know, one load of letters and one problem, and then he's also keeping other secrets from Raquel about, you know, another problem and the flat being auctioned off. And this is this is classic Dell, just like uh, trying to hold everything together himself and keep control. The next scene is in the graveyard. Del is uh, again chatting to his mum. They've got a maybe less slightly elaborate but still grand um, obelisk. Does he say it's good? It is he does say obelisk? He does indeed. Obelisk. Um, I'm not sure what the definition of an obelisk is, but I know what one is when I see one. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes, sure. (laughs) Oh, that's an obelisk. Okay, I'm not sure that's a sentence I've ever said, but if someone said that's an ob- obelisk, I'd go, yeah, that's an obelisk, I agree. <laughs> there are a few words that I uh, wrote in my notes that uh, 
I have no idea how to spell them. There's one that comes up later, and this this is one of them as well. And it's all right because as long as I can read it, it's fine. Although I think basically I butchered those pronunciations, so clearly didn't write it well enough. Yeah, I mean I can't spell most words, and obelisk would certainly be one of them. Um, I, for anyone intrigued, an obelisk is a tall, four-sided, narrow, tapering monument with ends in a pyramid shape. Uh-huh. So like the Washington DC monument That would be an obelisk Yeah, I think that's a perfect example of an obelisk Good, let's start saying obelisk Obelisk <laughs> I've probably learnt that word now um, <laughs> So yeah, Dale's having a chat He's also doing a bit of uh, a bit of housekeeping He's tidying up needles and cans of special brew And tent super Which is... You know, a little bit much for right in front of the grave, but I did quite like it. it did set the uh, the scene. Definitely happens. Definitely happens. I, I, it, it was yeah. It was it was a very nice scene. We've not had you know Dell talking to his mum for a long time, and I think this again helped set this really homely feel to this episode. David Jason is very good at playing these moments for such like genuine feels. Like I. I completely believe everything he says in this moment of of him as kind of a last resort going to his mum to kind of hope she can pull something from her out of her angel hat. Yeah, I mean, he says that the uh, the lads have been trying to help him out and we get a cutaway to Nag's head and Trigger is working on reinventing the chopstick with a hinge for some sort of, like, pocket back scratcher. And... Honestly, the, this above all anything else was so much like something that Dave would do, um, or our uh, mother's partner that I, I had to oh mention it. We've actually brought this up a couple of times, but it's actually never made the edit, and we've cut it out a few times <laughs> just because it, it wasn't that interesting. But I, I can actually imagine him properly making this and putting a hinge on two chopsticks to make a back scratcher. He, he is basically Trigger anyway. So the fact that, that he is completely capable to do this to scratch his own back was blinding. I knew something was really getting my attention during this whole scene. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, and that's definitely what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, is, this is brilliant. I guarantee if he watched this episode, he'd just be going, yeah. Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah, I'm surprised he hasn't made one already. <laughs> but we joined Dale back at the graveyard. He's lamenting his situation and asking his mum if you know there's anything that she can do from way above there, and having a bit of a wink. And yeah, like you said, DJ's playing this really well. You can feel this vulnerability, and it and it feels like this. This all-time low. We've seen them in Stuck loads of times and having problems and and what have you. But it feels almost desperate at this point. The way that he's sort of, you know, properly asking his mum to help, and there's little trembles in his voice. You can feel it's uh, it's really starting to eat him up. Yeah, it it reminds me of back in the um, back in the sickness and health where he was, you know, genuinely really worried when he'd first bought the flat and he didn't know he was going to pay for it and that's something we'd obviously seen before and you know we really worry for him and you you assume something's going to come up but you almost think like yeah they're kind of asking for a miracle it seems like the best plan at this point we head back to the flat Rodney is working on 
there's a rhino loose in the city too. Two lost, two trampling. <laughs> or at least he's trying to come up with some sort of screenplay, which seems just wildly naive and crazy. Yeah, I think the idea that there's like money in TV, in films or books, is like terrible. I mean, you might as well be busking because you think you're about to sell, like you're about to go platinum. Like, there's, there's, there's a lot of middle bits. Yeah, it's it's massively delusional. Definitely. And uh, this was, I'm glad he got one again. There was a great little one-liner here from uh, from Damien again. And that's where he, when he, uh, he goes over to the laptop to see the blank screen and ask if it's a silent film he's working on, which I thought was a great little gag. It's a great gag. It's it's so much beyond Damien. There's no way that he could actually be clever enough to come up with a joke, but that doesn't make it any less funny. This is true, and in fact, I don't think it's a twelve-year-old on the planet that would even know what a, a silent film was, let alone make a, a comedy jibe about it. Uh, but it's a it's a good gag, and uh, Rodney doing his very aggressive, genuinely furious, telling him to bugger off afterwards is also brilliant. Uh, Dell comes in and tries to light the absolute stub of a cigar, which is just visually just just speaks volumes. Like we've never seen that before, and it just sort of is reinstalling this idea of of hard times. And uh, it is done very well to break it up as he sort of burns his nose while he's trying to do it. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. It's a proper new low, isn't it? I mean, we've seen him go in there and be annoyed that there's none left or something like that. But to actually be like, okay, there's nothing in the pot, but there's some ends here. I might just be able to get a little little puff out of. Yeah, that's a proper new low for Delboy. So Rodney's trying to write himself out of this problem. And Del is at first thinking it's madness. But then once he mentions J.K. Rowling and the tune of 70 million... Dell's uh, suddenly keen and spouting off Harry Trotter, which I've been seeing memes of for ages and at no point ever really made the connection and just thought it was a play on words. But now I realise it was actually a written line on the episode. It is literally the only joke I remember from this episode. I remember oh, yeah. it coming up. And yeah, that that's a very funny line. Um, I couldn't help noticing, though, that that 70 million quoted for J.K. Rowling seemed amazingly low for what it probably is now so i looked up what uh, jk rowling's current net worth is do you want to take a stab i don't really want to be depressed and knowing how much other people earn so i know you've looked it up but i just don't want you to say it so <laughs> no go on make a guess oh ridiculous amounts double that triple that just over 10 times oh 700 mils 795 million in 2020, apparently. What a bitch. It was quite weird to hear them talk about Harry Potter, though. There are these sort of more modern things that have cropped up, but it's not been very heavy in the last couple of episodes. But there is something that's kind of like romance about this sort of previous time and this old school feel that I love about Only Fools and sort of bringing it to that more contemporary or at least you know my lifetime it almost like stole some of the romance and the love away from it it was kind of weird I actually didn't like it I wish it I wish it didn't come in 
it was really weird to be like this you guys don't know what this is this hasn't been invented yet because this is only fools and the two these there's not a crossover between harry potter and only fools in my brain uh, but there is the f- the first film came out in um i did look it up i think it was 2001 the first harry potter film um so they were on the the third film by the time this was released god jesus well in the zeitgeist yeah yeah a quick cut to the next head for a for a single exchange between Sid and Trigger, which is brilliant, obviously, because it's Trigger. Sid is talking about uh, turning the pub into a theme pub. So, I rang Mike in prison, and we've decided to turn this into a theme pub. Good. We decided on a 1930s pre-war London theme. Well, it's turned out well, hasn't it? <laughs> it ain't started yet. Yeah, that, that's a really good line. I like that. Again, something about this episode, it happened so quickly I didn't have time to think about the obvious response. And I think that's one of the things this episode does quite well, is it's a lot quicker and snappier with the jokes. You, mm-hmm. I didn't have time to see the obvious punchline, whereas some of the other ones, I felt like they were really obvious. And that that's a really obvious joke to make, but it came out of nowhere and it still surprised me because it was quicker than my brain could work. Yeah, by the time he's mentioned it being a theme pub and you've started to connect those dots of where the obvious joke ends, it's been said and so it still catches you off guard. Uh yeah, it it was snappier and it jumped around but in a in a good way. We go back to the flat and the uh, the boys are on the beers and the scotch. They are getting on it proper writing some completely ridiculous script ideas. Right, what are they doing? Oh, well, these people that you said that landed on an uninhabited desert island in the middle of the Pacific. Right. <laughs> and just this scene is just sort of delightful to watch. Del and Rodney talking shit, but being like proper true to character. It's great. I really just loved I could have just watched half an hour of them exchanging stuff next to a laptop getting pissed. Yeah, this was such a fun scene. This was just uh, something we actually haven't seen that often, which is the two of them both drunk at the same time, has almost never happened, and just just shooting the shit and bouncing off each other. It was a lot of fun. The whole scene was great. Um, And the idea had its mental points, but my first thought when he was like, load of scientists on a desert island and weird shit's happening. Sounds a bit like Lost. (laughs) <laughs> Lost came out the following year so you know <laughs> maybe it wasn't that crazy an idea anyway but uh, yeah it's the whole the whole script and everything is is, is crazy but it's uh, it's a lot of fun we are back into the next head again and Marlene is chatting shit and largely slagging off Boise and he's slagging her off right back and he says this flat-chested gag which is close to the bone like it just just seemed really heavy like a proper serious kick in the teeth sort of insult it was hectic 34 years gold they dig up fossils younger than that yeah put a bit of makeup on them and i might fancy them more on you (laughs) mind you she has her uses. If ever I have to draw a straight line, I can't find a ruler, I'll just use her chest. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. I mean, the the whole scene of them sort of like having a go at each other was um, 
pretty standard for them. Nothing new, just talking about how much they hate each other. But yeah, that, that one seemed a bit aggressive and, and caught me a bit off guard. I was like, oh, hello, didn't see, didn't see that coming. That was harsh. But it was fun to see, uh, I liked, um, they get loads to do in this episode generally, but it was fun seeing um, Raquel and Cassandra kind of lead a scene, if you like, which mm. they, they kind of do down the pub and seeing all the chat between them. Uh, they get so much to do throughout this episode and, and they're great. It's uh, This feels like so full. Yeah, I mean, you can say what you want about the, the first couple of episodes, but we have both come out did. of... Yeah, but we've both we've come out of all of these three episodes with the same opinions without discussing them. Like we haven't. That's sort of our thing. We don't really talk about it while we're watching. Or the you did say fifteen minutes before that you're enjoying it a bit more, but we we like literally make an effort not to talk about it. But one of the things we were talking about in the last two that things were missing, for example, about Raquel and Cassandra not having much to do or sort of being, uh, you know, not potted plants, but just being sort of side pieces. Mm. We're getting the things that we wanted and the things that we've been saying that was missing. And now we're seeing this and we're sort of enjoying the episode. Like, it's, at least there's like consistency in what our criticisms are and the reasons we don't like it. And then sort of having that proven by getting some of the, the stuff that helps to balance it out a bit more in this episode. So yeah, it was it was great to see them, you know, taking more of the the foreground in this episode. Yeah, for sure, and it and it's the same for the other side of characters as well. I felt they were very shoehorned in in the other episodes. Like quite frankly, they weren't necessary. Most of the scenes containing them, especially that first episode. But um, this one was great. That little bit between Sid and Trigger was great. It didn't feel shoehorned. It was just a funny moment. Marlene and Boise here. This is just like classic them. And it feels very like appropriate to have this scene. And it just flows great. It's really fun. I really like the uh, the sign off to the next head scene. Which is when Boise says to Marlene. Like, Alright dear let's go home and ignore each other all night. Or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, that was good. Cause if you are the best, but you don't ask questions, then brother, I'm your man. Now we go back to the flat, and uh, the boys are really turning it out to 11. They're on the breezes, and they're now both proper sozzled. And, you know, this is what we want to see. Um, both Lynnhurst and DJ are killing it. They They both properly appear drunk they're bouncing off each other really really well and yeah it's great to see this the the sort of actors being able to actually play off each other and and really get involved in these in these scenes maybe it's like an easy and obvious thing to do when you're writing it but I was really happy to to sort of see that come to a head yeah I thought it was a great scene it's it's a lot of fun you can see they they must have had a lot of fun doing it and like we said before, there aren't many times that the two of them are in the same like mental place. Most of the jokes and the conflicts are often about like one of them being happy and one of them being angry about something mm. and having opposite opinions. And it's very rare that the two of them are like having a laugh together. I think of um, when Sleeping Dogs Lie, for example, that close when they're both taking the piss out of Albert and they're like laughing together. Mm. 
there aren't that many moments like that actually in the show about two brothers who love each other and it's a comedy they actually very rarely make each other laugh and enjoy each other's company that much and this was a a really fun scene for that and yeah it was it was great i'm i'm so glad we got this moment Mm -hmm. we definitely do get loads of times where it does happen and they're they're taking the piss out of something and they they share those brotherly moments but not like in this little capsule that we're getting it in now so it, it works really well but the lasses uh, essentially after being I, I guess stood up uh, head back home to find Dylan Rodner's properly conked out on the uh, on the table I feel like our missuses need to find us like that one day we need to get that get that sorted we need to make a date <laughs> just make a date to be terrible old men <laughs> yeah <laughs> so a bit of time goes by and uh, little Damien it well slightly less little Damien, is playing Wipeout on the PlayStation. Little blast from the past. Hell yeah, he's playing Wipeout. Uh, I I couldn't believe it when that popped up. I was like, oh yes, Wipeout. I know that straight away. Outstanding game. While Damien's playing away, they're all having a bit of a chat and joking that they're surprised that Boise and Marlene aren't already divorced. Um, Rodney says that he used to work for the Samaritans for a while, which is, you know, news to me, but not not unplausible. That completely tracks for me that he would do that during one of his, like, uh, you know, save the world phases. That he's like, I know I'm going to volunteer and work for the Samaritans and probably did it for like a week. And then was like, this is depressing. You know, he went on hunger strike and did all sorts of things. I think uh, volunteering for the Samaritans a bit seems right up uh, an early 20s Rodney. And then it randomly comes out that uh, they think Marlene has either been uh, topped off or, or run off with another fella. And this is kind of the, the interesting bit of the episode because I didn't really know where this was going. I remembered it once it happened, but at this time I couldn't remember. And they're talking about him possibly running away with Denzel. And I was like, is that in the storyline? Is that what happens? No, I don't believe it. It was never going to be that. <laughs> no, no, no. But like, you know, I was second guessing and like I, I just couldn't remember where it was going at all. Yeah, it's a weird like uh, sort of whodunit now that kind of runs through this whole this whole middle act of the episode. Um, of you know, no one has seen Marlene, and I thought I thought it was a clever, fun bit. It's completely believable that um, she would run off with someone else, uh, and obviously the idea that Boise killed her would be way too dramatic and obviously unbelievable. But it was fun to see them play it out as a possibility, even to the point where we're in the next scene and you've got them down the pub taking bets on how and where it was uh, where the deed was done cluedo style and then sid shows a uh, a 1960s jolly boys outing photo with a 15 year old dell apparently uh, his old man is there as well which seems a bit unlikely i can't imagine them fraternizing with each other but i guess it's a old traditional thing yeah, it was obviously past. It sounded like um, so that they said that was the. F- I was a bit confused because it sounded like if you're going to have the two generations there, like you've got Reg and and Grandad and Sid and stuff, they're all like they're the all older ones, mm. and then you've got 
Del Boy and all his mates. If it was intergenerational like that, you'd think that, okay, this is like a passing the torch thing, it's an old tradition, but they said this was the very first one. So that means one of them had the idea to kind of do that. Maybe one of the older lot set it all up, and then someone said, invite Del and all his mates, which, you're right, seems unlikely. But it, it it's, a, it's a really fun origin story for Jolly Boys, and and we do find out that the um, the Jolly Boys outing that we all know and love was the final one. So that was a nice way they tied up the story of it kind of never coming up again. So you said that someone's hired the pub and you're getting some tribute acts in, so there's that to look forward to. The uh, the idea of a, a carpenter doing a Bowie tribute act called Ziggy Sawdust was genius. <laughs> I, I, I'm a huge fan of any pun-related name, and that is just fantastic punning. And then Rodney tells the, uh, a story about the Earth getting closer and closer to a black hole and a bit of sort of doom and gloom. And there's just loads of laughs here. It bounces off like three or four different sort of punchlines to the joke. And uh, it turns out that it's going to take uh, quite a bit of time. They can't be too specific, can they? They can't sort of say, you know, Saturday the 12th of March at half past three, can they? No, well, you know, they can give us an idea, you know, give or take a fortnight. Well, roughly within two to three hundred million years. Oh, we got time for a quick one then. <laughs> yeah, this is a really fun, stupid little scene. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, just because we have to complain about something. I, I didn't like how this scene finished at all. I thought the one negative I could have about this episode is almost... Uh, it's almost paying a compliment and giving a negative at the same time. I feel like maybe they noticed that, like we did, the best thing about the last two episodes was Trigger. And I think they overused him a bit in this episode. Like, there was a lot of Trigger, and they gave him kind of too... Like, Trigger is kind of addition by subtraction. Like, he's meant to always do very little. And I feel like he kind of said too much in this episode. Um, but yeah, I just felt like they, they leaned a bit too heavily on Trigger. And this closing part about um, Trigger thinking he sees a UFO because he's blinking. I, I'm not having that. That was rubbish. I didn't mind it. I think it's really hypocritical to say that we've been sucking off so much Trigger for the last two episodes. And now we're like, oh no, it's too much Trigger. That feels really inconsistent, but I but I do understand what you're saying <laughs> because because his um because he had so much to do he talked in full sentences and a few a few at a time and that didn't feel natural for his character at all. Like Trigger is a very deadpan, simple, uh, short worded man, and when he spoke and told entire stories or stuff, it even the way that Roger Lloyd Pack is doing it, it didn't feel natural that the flow of the sentences, because it's not how it's ever really happened before. And although I loved pretty much everything they did and I still thought it was funny, it stood out to me that his lines were just a lot um a lot more content in them and it, it stood out as 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 quite unique for his character, for sure. Yeah, especially so many times throughout the episode. Um, 
But uh, I'd say it, it was still good, but that that would be my only sort of negative. I just felt that they they kind of slightly um, overused that uh, that wild card that is uh, Roger Lloyd Pack that you can just throw out there any time for guaranteed greatness because he's brilliant. But the scene does end saying that they have found Denzel and he is in some sort of pizza place. Hi, we're in the pizza place. At the pizza place, the lad approached Denzel and, and straight away just asked him about Marlene, basically. And it seems to get a bit low as Denzel essentially insinuates what we all believe to be cancer as he talks about some sort of surgery and things being removed and what have you. But it, it turns out he's just got good old hemorrhoids, which I'm sure isn't fun, but slightly less severe than cancer. Piles? You've had Piles? I always asked, worried sick about you, and all you'd got was a touch of the farmer Giles. Not piles, Derek. Super piles. All this fuss over a few hemorrhoids. Hemorrhoids? They were more like asteroids. <laughs> Surgeon said it was keyhole surgery. Forgot to say it was the keyhole to the Tower of Sodden London. Yeah, I, I thought this was very well played because. Only Fools can do these deep moments, I mean, and does in this very episode. And so the way they set it felt really real, and you didn't really didn't see the the twist coming. You generally thought that this was going to be sort of a big part of the story was, you know, Denzel recovering from this. Uh, so yeah, I, I thought it was a great little bit and, and really nicely done. But they continue to sort of question about Marlene, but Denzel says that he has seen her all doled up talking to this other geezer and then Dylan and Rodney decide to make their way towards uh, Boise's place it doesn't take long for Dale to just come out and ask Boise if he's buried her in the garden uh, which he hasn't unsurprisingly but uh, Boise's a little bit offended at the uh, accusation because he has far too much pride in his garden yeah I really liked the uh, the idea that Marlene couldn't possibly be staying with anyone else because no one would put up with her for that length of time. I thought it was brilliant <laughs> and I totally bought. But, you know, Boise is uh, very adamant that he has done nothing wrong and there is nothing fishy going on, despite him acting very suspiciously. But they agreed to be shown out when they promised that Marlene will be um, presented at the Nags Head that evening. And this is another little clever bit from Dell, which I never saw coming, which is very like Columbo, which Dell does occasionally, which is just as he's walking out the door, shouts up to Marlene up the stairs. See you later, Marlene. Well, she's I was probably asleep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. And it was even better the second time. Yeah, the double hitter is great. Like, the first one you didn't see coming, and the second one you definitely didn't see coming, and he really goes for it as well. See you later, Molly! <laughs> I thought that was really clever. I thought that was great. The next scene is in the next head. We are opening up to a pretty decent tribute to Bowie. <laughs> Does sound pretty good. Sid's done some English tapas, which I'm not gonna lie, it's a pretty inspired idea. I love that that idea. I, I, I've heard, I know loads of uh, restaurants that have done tapas from different 
you know regions and different cuisines it's become a bit of a thing um I, there's a, a great restaurant in in my town that does norwegian tapas it's it's a great way of of trying lots of different things from from a, a, a nationalities yeah i do it all the time in some of the the, the sort of dinner evenings that i have hosted or come to that's generally what i inspire is they do some mini plates of stuff it wasn't so much that it was a completely unique idea it was just quite interesting that it was done with like you know pickled eggs or whatever sort of classically british thing was going on rather than actually being posh as you like (laughs) yeah it it was actually like kids christmas uh kids birthday party food of like sausage on a stick cheese and onion on a stick but he's called it english tapas I think more restaurants need to do this kind of thing because one, if you can order five different main type dishes without having to spend the earth and get the variety, um, yeah, variety is a spice of life, especially with food. So I'm all for the variety. But this is this this obviously very expensive to do. That's why you get like seven and nine uh, course tasting plates from you know, really posh restaurants because that's, yeah. that's obviously the thing to do. I've actually never done one. I think I've done a five plate, but I've always wanted to go to like either uh, like Heston's or Jamie's or one of Have them. Have you never done anything like that? Uh, not not in a bougie either Michelin or, uh, or sort of famed chef. I've done lots of uh, sort of five course tasters in good restaurants, but not in like the plush ones i know a couple of my friends have have been to some of those like the i think it's the fat duck not too far away that's, from us that's blumenthal's one yeah i think um i think they went and did that one which i was very jealous of i've been to one restaurant in the the only michelin star in bergen uh i went to that restaurant but before with with work for a christmas do but that was actually before it had its star but um so it doesn't technically count but i'm i'm counting it anyway that's how it earned the star. Yeah, in it, <laughs> I gave it to him. Once they've got it, they they just relax after that. <laughs> but uh, Boyce comes in rather grandly and uh, introduces Marlene as she sort of strolls along, red carpet style, and uh, takes off her coat to reveal some pretty enlarged cans. So. Marlene's had a augmentation. <laughs> I mean, it's not a great augmentation. I mean, it doesn't really look like she's had any work done. It just looks like they've sort of stuffed some toilet roll on the bottom of a bra. But we get the point. Yeah, it's a push-up bra and a bit of clever shading, and it's not even particularly dramatic. It's weird. It's not the way the camera keeps like zooming in on it is really weird and made me a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you can just say it. We don't. Do we need a close-up? I don't know. I don't think I need a close-up of this I'll take a close-up, 50-year-old sorry. woman's cleavage. <laughs> a, a proper little cat fight develops, which you don't see coming, but actually, I don't know, we've never seen Raquel have like a full-on cat fight, but we've seen hints of this. Like she's taken niggles at Marlene before, and definitely at Boise. And before you know it, she's going at Marlene, and it's all kicking off, it's great. Yeah, Raquel is ledge. Like <laughs> she, uh, I'd be well happy if she was my other half. Like I, I really love a girl that can properly handle herself, especially like vocalizing and just being witty enough to, 
you know, give what she gets back or ideally better. And uh, that's exactly what Raquel does. She is always on it. Raquel, I'm so glad you wore that dress again. It's always been one of my favourites. That reminds me, boys, we've got to collect the curtains from the cleaners. Oh, just listen. And her looking like one of those little women you put over toilet rolls. Did you hear what she said? Yeah, I like that they gave all these lines to Raquel because I think there would have been a temptation for kind of an even split to maybe have Cassandra and Raquel team up and maybe split the lines. But not only would that have maybe seemed a bit cruel to Marlene because it would have been two on one, but also it wouldn't have been consistent with with Cassandra's character. So I think this was brilliantly done. And uh, Sid just bloody loses the plot. He doesn't know what he's doing anymore. So... (laughs) Apparently he's been running this place for a couple of years now, but they all seem to still treat him like the newbie. And uh, he's he knows he needs to do something, but he's not sure what. <laughs> and in the end, he chucks out the uh, the paying clients and Marlene and Boise. I've got to give a little hat off to uh, Sid or, or Roy Heather, as the actor's called. Um, he's only ever done sort of a fairly small part with very limited lines, and he's obviously had a bit of a... Uh, a step up in these three episodes, but I, I quite like him in the position. I, uh, I I think he's done really well with the lines. I think they've written it. They've sort of amalgamated his character very well into the pub, and uh, and, and I really like it. You know, we we've had our bad things to say about the episodes, but I thought it was actually pretty seamless, and it did. It it was an obvious choice as a proprietor of a a different establishment but i think he's he's done really well in that yeah it it was a very clever bit of writing you know because they did try to bring everyone back for these three episodes i I don't think they yeah they've not left anyone out and if kenneth mcdonald had still been around they would have had to find another way to kind of keep roy heather's character going and i'm sure it would have worked and everything but this was uh this was definitely turning a negative into a positive of really kind of bringing them all together. And yeah, he does really step up and it's uh it's a clever way. And it, and it adds another kind of piece of intrigue to have someone new running the pub and kind of watching Sid learn how to deal with that. Um, it, it's been a, a fun little side story. And this scene ends with Boise and Marlene coming back into the pub after being kicked out saying that they paid for it all and Sid promptly offering drinks for everyone. Good man. Excuse me, I am paying for all this. Right, drinks all round. We then head into the flat and Raquel is proper livid. She has found out that the flat is due to be auctioned in no more than 10 days and finds out that Dale has also been hiding letters from Rodney from the solicitors. And Raquel has had enough and she gives Dale a bit of a, uh, a reality check. Just listen to me, Raquel. No, you listen to me, Derek. You've got to make contact with reality, Dell. Everything with you is image. I saw you down the pub last night. We're broke. And you were throwing money around like Elton John. And instead of finding work, you prefer to sit in this recycled council flat pretending to be Quentin Tarantino. And when we go out in the Capri, 
You insist on having the windows wound up, even in a heat wave, just to make other drivers think you've got air conditioning. <laughs> well, I know I'm not perfect. Oh, God! That is the understatement of the year. Unless a miracle happens in ten days' time, my son and I are going to be living in some flea-bitten bed and breakfast in downtown Sodoffsville. But then she says something, and it's probably the first thing that I think I've ever disagreed with what Raquel said. Um, it, it's not really sided on either way, but she says uh, only women bleed, which I, th- I think it's left up to interpretation, but it almost seems quite selfish of her to to say that at that time. Like I know she's having a really bad time, and some of the context of that is is obviously that that she's going to be suffering in ways that Dell isn't. But Dell has got enough and had enough on his plate and is in a really bad time and actually for the first and last time the words that come out of Raquel's mouth I actually thought you think well actually pretty sure Dell's bleeding pretty bad right now I I loved this scene I thought it was fantastically written I think the way that Raquel started kind of digging into Dell was uh, was really good and she was telling him some great home truths and it was all very fitting to her character. And then, yeah, she kind of then kind of sends it down gender lines. And this is it just makes the whole thing really interesting because for a second I was thinking, oh, is this going to be a bit like out of date? But no, I think the way they, they do it is perfect because it's almost instantly... Raquel's point of view is kind of shown to be wrong if you like because Dell comes out and tries to explain his perspective and I think the way they kind of present it it's not spoon fed to you but the way I interpreted it was Raquel is looking at this from a, a traditionalist point of view that you know here's Dell out gallivanting and having full control and and she's the one having to deal with all the consequences um, where Andel thinks the opposite. He thinks he's the the man dealing with all the problems, as he's always had to and always will do. And they're both wrong, but both right. And they're kind of you know, they're right that that's what they're both experiencing, but they're wrong that it has to be that way. And they kind of maybe see the error of their ways towards the end. And you, I think you get both perspectives. I think each one of them is just saying, help, this is an absolute mess and a nightmare. And they both come at it from a selfish way at first and then figure out that actually they now understand how each other feel. Yeah, I really like it. Del, Del sort of counters back a little bit and it would have been almost easy or they would have been in danger of regurgitating lines for Dell. He could have easily gone on the the sort of life story, woe is me, which he's done to either good effect or real feels effect or we, we've sort of not cared because he's milked it in previous times. And, and if it had gone on too long, it could have been any one of those three, but it, it wouldn't have fit and it would have felt really repetitive. And actually it's a very quick, snappy couple of lines from Dell about, you know, I've had a lot on my plate for a long time which is good you know Dell's Dell does a lot of things wrong but he has actually been carrying the world on his shoulders not necessarily because he wants to but because he has kind of had to but I just like that they didn't milk it and it was 
very sort of short and snappy before Raquel ends it with just walking away from the argument and saying she's going for a lie down. Yeah, obviously the the line is very reminiscent of, of what he says in, in kind of strained relations. And um, yeah, it, it it's brilliantly handled. And I think this is an argument between two flawed people. And I think they're both presented that way as people that are uh, are, are flawed, but we're meant to sympathise with both of them and and not take sides. And I think it's really well done, and the two of them play it perfectly, and I think it's written perfectly, this, this argument. Yeah, and, and it is really cherry on top with the clothes, which is Rodney joining Dell on the balcony, and, you know, Dell's... Dale's talking about it basically being over in the way that he does, but it turns out that he's missed a, a bit of a sign. Dale? Yes? I just said I'm going for a lie down. She's all right, and she's with me, really. <laughs> she's lovely. She, hey. Eh? Yeah, she's lovely. Which is just kind of a, a beautiful end, really. That the fact that both Del and Raquel can go through that, and especially Raquel can seemingly be pissed off and angry, but she's happy to let the bygones be bygones and up for essentially some makeup sex. Good girl. <laughs> I I just think it's great that she um, this is something she's always done is accept his flaws and this is this is not I don't think this scene is saying that Dell is suddenly brilliant and has not done anything wrong he has but he's been doing genuinely the best he can being the person he is Mm. and and she's just accepting of that because what more can you ask of anyone and I think it's beautiful. I think it's great. What a great depiction of a of a relationship between two flawed people um, who are just willing to forgive and forget and understand. We get a very quick scene on some kind of high street and we watch Rodney come out of a uh, a camera shop after processing the photo. We see him sort of chuckle away, but then his expression changes to a sort of worry and concern. We then cut to him and Cass having a bit of food, talking, eating in a pub. But Rodney's just away with the fairies. He's He's got something very much on his mind. She finally gets out of him and he shows her the picture, which actually this time is pretty well photoshopped. It's not flawless, but it looks a lot better than the, uh, the last one that we saw. They've mm. gone to the trouble of actually getting old pictures of the cast which is pretty cool and not seamlessly but I can say almost seamlessly it's not even almost seamlessly but working it into the picture that it looks okay. Yeah I mean it's done in a way that no one's fooled but at the same time at least it doesn't completely draw you out of the uh, experience because it's so such a botched job. It's, It's nicely done I thought. It does include Slater, which was a nice little uh, mm. nice little extra seal, at least right there. 
the only thing that I feel is a real shame, I don't know if you're the same, that it's a pity we didn't get to see a younger granddad. Like There must have been yeah. black and white photos of Leonard Pierce. It, I can't imagine it's that hard to stick him in there. Maybe it was a little bit too sensitive or going to bring up some sort of sad or somber emotions that you didn't necessarily want in that moment. But I would have loved that as a little sort of, you know, hat tip. I was really surprised because we see Reg in there, although it doesn't look like the picture they use of Reg was a young photo. It looks like they just maybe put. Well, do we actually see Reg? I was looking out yeah, for we everyone. See Reg I didn't in there. That. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it doesn't look like it's a young photo of him. It looks like they just put an older photo onto like a younger body and slightly de-aged it. I must have a look because I didn't. I was looking out for all of the people, but I didn't manage to see Reg. Um, oh yeah, there we go. There we go. It definitely is a very young photo. Yeah, you think? I think he looks that young. It's at least 20 years prior to when we saw him. Yeah, maybe. It didn't seem young enough, but maybe it was. The only thing that's a shame on this is all of the characters look quite good, except for the main point of focus, which is Rodney slash Freddie Robdoll, which is so much lighter than and so much less grainy than all of the other people. If they had just made his photo a lot less uh, clear, it would have been a lot more seamless, but <laughs> he stands out so much. That's such an easy thing to fix as well, yeah. is to make all the pictures worse. That's easy. But yeah, that, that that's what happens. We uh, Cassandra is pointing out all of the, the people she can see on the image and says, and there's you. But it's not him. It is... Freddie Robdoll. Freddie the Frog is back. The uh, triumphal return to the story. They do a really nice sort of production thing here where they jump between Rodney telling all of this stuff to Cassandra and then also simultaneously Dell telling all this stuff to Raquel back at home in bed. And they're both giving slightly different pieces of information so it kind of keeps us interested. But the kind of the kind of conclusion of it all is neither of them wants to talk to the other one about it because they think that they'll upset the other and so they're both going to keep it secret but they also they say they don't think the other one knows but you kind of get the impression they do or at least you do certainly later in the episode but it's all going to go unsaid for now it seems yeah they actually say specifically that it would break the other one's heart which there's some sort of truth behind that if the other one sort of wasn't aware but it kind of I don't know I don't think it's a continuity problem but I feel like this is it was it almost came up and felt like it was almost accepted in previous episodes like it wasn't but it felt like it felt like the conclusion of say like the frog's legacy and stuff like that was that Rodney probably knew in his heart of hearts that he was the illegitimate child and they all knew in his heart of hearts and they sort of had discussions about that. So it kind of felt a bit weird that they were saying that the other one definitely didn't know when I feel like it's kind of ground that we'd gone over. I was willing to suspend the sort of disbelief there, but realistically it felt like they should they should have been aware that the other one probably held that opinion. 
this whole stuff with yeah with Freddy the Frog is a bit continuity minefield, and a lot of the the stuff doesn't necessarily tie up as neatly as it should. However, I think they've they've paid enough service to what we know, and they are taking some liberties in order to kind of create this good story. And as long as the uh, the kind of outcome is worth it then i'm I'm not against them taking liberties a bit mm. and uh, yeah th- th- this isn't perfect but it, it mostly rewards us as an audience for kind of having the backstory and then yeah fills in a few blanks here and there so as we're going back and forward uh casters actually try and make some kind of light of it and and cracks a joke about it which is pretty good going of cast good sport but Dell. Uh, finishes up by saying that there's no photos of their mum in the house, which wasn't really something I'd ever really thought about and now kind of seems really strange. And the reason for that was that Freddie was in all of their photos and their aunt Rini, who we met all that time ago back in the Frog's Legacy, uh, had a feeling that there would be similarities drawn between them and uh, removed them and burnt them all. And that's... Uh, why no photos were up or I guess really existed. I, I like those sort of fun retcons. That's really good. Bringing up something that we'd never thought about, but someone probably had like some Muppet on the internet. It's probably made a big deal of it. So why do these two guys that love their mum so much? Why have we never seen a photo? Ah, well, they've answered that one. Mm. Um, so yeah, I thought this was nice. And again, completely believable, totally works from everything we know of the characters mentioned. And yeah, it's uh, it's good. It's interesting that we don't see the uh, two close-up photos that are specifically mentioned, though, that Rodney apparently owns that Dell gave him of of Joan. But I imagine that by this time, the idea of doing a rock and chips was probably already in the pipeline, and they maybe didn't want to um, limit themselves with any uh, kind of any looks or anything like that so they could complete, keep themselves completely open by not letting us see anything of what she might have looked like that way they could have had whoever they wanted they could have hired based completely on talent and acting ability as opposed to just having to meet some sort of facial recognition which was smart yeah I do wonder how much Rock and Chips was on the cusp I mean I had a look at little look earlier actually Rock and Chips came out in 2010 which is 7 years after that this so I don't I don't actually know how early the script was there I'm sure we will get to that on the research and we'll find out when the sort of script ideas were but I'll be inclined to think that the idea was there but I'm not sure if it was a possibility you know 7 years before it's released but who knows? I imagine with most of these things, it's definitely an idea in John Sullivan's head. If no one else is, he's surely got a million ideas of things that he would maybe like to do one day. So the next scene, we see Dell and Rodney in the uh, the waiting room, as it were, of the solicitors. Neither of them have any idea why they've been summoned, but Dell is uh, does very worried, and he thinks that there's basically nothing else he could be held accountable for that they haven't already done him for, which is quite quite fun. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a really great line. And also the way he puts Rodney at ease, because Rodney seems to think they're definitely going to end up in Nick. 
and you know Dell shows a bit of his uh you know his very selective general knowledge by uh pointing out the differences between criminal and civil uh issues and saying that there is this is you know this is a civil issue it's nothing court related there are no coppers about so but they have absolutely no idea and they go into the office after being called kind of assuming they're going to get sued for something yeah um just before they get called the the photo almost comes up for a second and it's almost like we're about to get given it but then they do get called into the office and they they start to sweat but we find out after a bit of uh formalities that there isn't much reason to do so because uh it's just a reading of albert's will essentially and we go on a bit of a, a ramble and the solicitor basically takes the piss out of their investments saying they were really bad ones and that Albert had the foresight to to invest in something slightly less volatile. I, I would have liked there to have been more explanation in what's taken two years for the uh, the will to be discovered and read to them. Bear in mind we know that Albert died you know, quite a while ago. He says that He's been sending them letters for for three months. I was like, "What about the, you know, twenty months before that?" So that's a bit weird and just just annoys me a little bit on a, a level, just because. But it's not been that long, has it? Because Cass is pregnant in the first episode, isn't she? No, she's not. She gets pregnant at the end of the second. Ah, uh, okay, start of the second episode. Start of the second episode. She is pregnant. So the between episode two and three of this series we know there's she's already far along and she's not dropped it so there can only have been six or seven months between those episodes mm. really yeah so if if that's the the sort of scale then roughly maybe there's only the same between the first two episodes but realistically we don't we don't really have any we don't have any plan for time there so we kind of got to make it up true i mean best case scenario this solicitor's, solicitor's been sitting on a will worth a lot of money before even sending a letter for six months, and that is if we're being generous. Um, which I just wish they just explained because it's fine. It's not like it's, it's not like it's an insurmountable problem, but just just mention it would be nice. But anyway, Albert's will is read, and they've been left a tidy sum. Anyway, he's left his entire estate to you. Now, before I do the legal reading, uh, let's, as you say, cut to the chase. After death duties, he has left you the sum of £145,000. Each. (laughs) Yes, hello? Raquel! Raquel, you'll never guess we're saved. It was it was all about Uncle Albert and his will. Yeah, this was one thing that I didn't remember was the value. And when he says 145 grand, I thought, oh yeah, that's I remember that. But I then didn't remember that he said each, which really I don't remember of, any of this, <laughs> which, which really made it like uh, from a a helpful amount of money to actually a really decent amount of money to think that they could do 25 grand each essentially and still be left with over a hundred grand a piece. That's, that's a good, a good lifeline. 
Yeah, I mean, for Dell, that's that's his retirement package. He's he can now go off into the sunset. That's fine. And uh, for Rodney and Cassandra, okay, it's maybe not quite enough to retire on, but it's a decent amount, and they're both young enough that they could get other jobs. I mean, Cassandra's had a career before, so if if Rodney wants to be a a house husband, then that could they could spend the rest of their lives very comfortable. I remembered none of this. I had absolutely no idea how they get out of this financial pickle they've been in for the last, you know, three specials. I, I assumed they would. But yeah, um, this works. It's a little... Uh, it's not quite finding a watch in the bottom of a cupboard or winning the lottery. It's a little easy, but I like it. I thought it was well done. And the amount is, I think, perfect. I think any more than that, if you'd kind of made them like properly rich again, it would have seen a, seemed a bit naff, because you can't do that twice. And like you said, if it had only been 50, 100k between them, then they're still basically in Stuck. I thought this was a, a really good amount of money for, for story purposes and our like feeling of well-being for them. Yeah, they, they've really hit the sort of Goldilocks zone for this. Um the amount is nice that it's what's really nice and plausible for me is the fact that the guy says that albert lived a very sort of you know unthrilling life and didn't want for much which is you know entirely plausible i I do yeah. seem to recall that they say he bought a place down on the coast with elsie partridge but that that might I, I don't know if i'm making that up but either way the fact that Albert would have wanted for nothing, he would have wanted a few rums and a bit of tobacco for his pipe, and I can't imagine that he wanted anything else. Like, even 10 years ago, he was saying he didn't want to go to Australia, so there's no way that he's gone off or been gallivanting. He's just, you know, just happy and comfortable. So the it, it just all came together quite nicely, and I think that ends, or at least the this closes off the the dilemma and the storyline really nicely because it works so well and because it's so uh so perfectly in this goldilocks zone i i really liked it yeah i thought it's really good and the i think the idea for kind of albert's legacy that he would um despite the fact that he knew that they were millionaires and had nothing to worry about the idea that he'd tuck away some of that money for investment which could only be to then give to them like there's no other other reason he'd invest um, it's not like he split the money with um, Elsie Partridge's kids and her family. It, it all went to them. Um, yeah, I, I think that's lovely, and I think that, that says something really nice about Albert in a, in a way, which uh, it, it's really nice as well. But seemingly everything is looking on the up for the Trotters. Uh, he gets a call from Raquel and is proper excited and is sort of giddily getting his words out that everything's going to be okay. But it's stopped sharply when Raquel is clearly saying that Cassandra has been rushed to hospital and is in labour. So I get real modern man flashbacks here of seeing the two of them back in a hospital Rodney again looking very nervous. We get a first little joke first of them uh, going into the wrong room, which is kind of funny, but uh, kind of want to skip to the main bit of uh, Rodney rushing to the delivery room and this there being this, quite frankly, horrific moment 
of of panic that I think in there was a pause here that's about three seconds long that genuinely felt like it lasted a minute as there appears to possibly have been a problem. You can't be there for the birth. What? They've had to give Cassandra a cesarean section. What's happened to my baby? The baby's already been delivered. And mother and child are fine. We get almost a carbon copy tremble in his voice as he says the horrible words of what's happened to my baby. And even though I knew it was going to be all right, because there's no way they're ending the whole series on anything this bad, this was a proper punch to the gut. And just for a second, my stomach was in my mouth. But fortunately, we don't live in there forever, because I might not have survived it. And uh, Raquel says that after a cesarean, you should see my spelling of that word, uh, turns (laughs) out that uh, mother and baby are indeed fine. And Yeah, we go straight from those, you know, just as you're kind of welling up into those tears of sadness, they are then thrust into tears of joy and relief. It's such a perfectly played moment by uh, by Nick Lindhurst. As you say, real carbon copy of, of kind of what we saw before, but with even more sort of like aged weariness in his face and more... Uh, he seems even more defeated yeah. just for that moment. But And yeah, that I'm, I'm glad that they don't hang in that moment too long. And then that relief just makes the, the next scene all the more amazing. Yeah, it's a really lovely moment. Uh, Rodney comes into the uh, aftercare room, I guess. And uh, Cass actually is looking quite good post-labour. They've not made it look too terrible, which I really liked as well. And the babe is sort of sat there in the crib looking very clean and, and quite lovely for a newborn. And Rodney, rather poetically in a sort of full circle way, says that the baby looks like a, a work of art, which just fit perfectly for his character and this this sort of idea that we've we've held for Rodney. And I really like that too. Yeah, brilliant line. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Cassandra doesn't look like someone who's just had a cesarean, but that's fine. There obviously wasn't time to attack it properly. So they've just, uh, you know let us all kind of have this just pure nice moment she's she says she's fine and yeah we get this quite long lingering moment in in the hospital of you know Rodney first picking up his daughter you know sharing a kiss with Cassandra then handing uh, the baby over to Dell and yeah it is all beautifully done very emotional and uh you know, all last just just the right amount of time. And then we head into the last scene of the last episode. And it is in the graveyard. We see Rodney with his baby talking to the gravestone for what I think is probably the first time. I, I'm not sure we've ever actually seen this. Rodney's always been very coy about his mum and not really talked about it and kind of you know, just shied away from it. And to see him talking at the gravestone is is really nice. And he rather honestly asks if 
she loved him and ends saying that he wished that he had known her, which was really lovely. Yeah, it's it's a really, again, perfectly played moment in terms of the emotional heartstrings because really it should be quite, I mean, it is very somber as you kind of see Rodney kind of opening up his heart to this mother he never knew and kind of lamenting that loss in a way he can barely describe, which is just so beautifully written, saying that he just wished he had something with her, some sort of connection. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like tragic because the fact that he's kind of opened up to her, even if it's just the gravestone, kind of adds a, a sort of a feeling of optimism and positivity to the moment. And of course, having his daughter there as well, this kind of next generation line is a that kind of big positive spin on the whole thing as well. And, and a hundred grand in this guy rocket. <laughs> that doesn't hurt none either. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it's a really, again, really well played moment. The it's absolutely only fools doing emotion at its best, and brilliantly acted again by Nicklin Hurst. This this whole scene is, is beautiful. Well, speaking of only fools doing emotion at its best, Del Ponks up in the three wheel van, strolls over to Rodney and asks if he's got a name for her yet. And these gestures towards the the gravestone, which now has a new name underneath it, and it says "Grandmother of Joan," and out of nowhere and completely unexpected, that completely fucked me up. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely brought a tear to my eye, even though I was waiting for it to happen. The execution of it was uh, was kind of outstanding, and. Um, yeah, the, because I don't know this episode that that well, and I'm not sure that I've ever seen this bit more than once. It had all of the, all of the delivery that I get for the only fools and horses feels, but in a fresh box because I hadn't, I hadn't ever remembered feeling this before. So it was like the first time I had this payoff for this sort of almost climactic moment. And I properly loved that as a a little sort of bow onto this episode. Yeah, it, it's it's a beautiful moment. It's kind of feels like something that had never come up before. The idea that one of them could, you know, have a daughter and name it after their mother is just something that had never occurred to me. And I was just sitting there thinking, Joan is such a lovely name. Like, what what a lovely little thing. And yeah, it, it's a really really lovely moment. So the very last bit, we see Rodney and Dell slowly walk away from their mother's resting place. And Rodney, quite honestly, asks if he is anything like Freddy the Frog. Dell, can I ask you a question? Yeah, what's that? Other than looks. Does he like me in any way? Who? You know who? Freddie Robdall. My father. Freddie the Frog was a professional burglar. He was disloyal to his friends. 
He was a womanizer, a homebreaker, a con man, a thief, a liar and a cheat. So no, Rodney. You're nothing like him. Come on. Let's go home, bruv. you a question, Rodgers. Yeah, far away. Where did that runway come from? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't fancy making that film anymore. You know what, Rodgers? That's a bloody good idea. <laughs> <laughs> We've got some half dries, crack ties, some miles and miles so, I mean, let's, let's round this off first. I didn't love that little last bit. I feel like it was almost great, though. All I felt it was missing was, you know, he lists all these things. That was, it basically goes, your dad was a dickhead, so you don't worry, you're not like him. But that isn't that, like, nice. But if he'd also said, and my dad was the same, but don't worry, because we've got our mum... That could have... It was so close to being perfect. And it, and it just wasn't. I find it really interesting that, that, that you think that I just didn't... I know that nothing, I guess, directly positive is, is said, but there's so much... So much is implied in that moment. Like, Nick Lindhurst is literally trembling at the lips just of those words that Dale says. I really love this this list of all the things that that Rodney isn't. You know, just because he says like, you know, he's a cheat, he's all these nasty things and you're you're not like that. It's it's a compliment that doesn't need the compliment spelled out because you're saying you're the opposite almost. Like I feel like so much is implied there I didn't need any more. I actually really liked the understated nature of of that end. But I can kind of see what you're coming from and that, that they could go a bit more. But I liked that it wasn't milked for all it was worth or or gone a little bit too far. I liked that they kept it kept it mellow. That's fair enough. I, I, as I said, I would have liked some more, but I, I'm happy to put that down to personal preference. It, it by no means tarnished my uh, my experience of the episode as a whole. Yeah, what I what I didn't what I thought was a shame was it, it kind of almost could have just ended there, and on the nice somber moment. But they did decide to end on the laugh, which was uh, where does that runway go? Which ending on a laugh does seem like the right choice to end this huge series. But I'm not. I'm not sure that that was the laugh to end on. It, that did seem a little bit weak of a line. But, you know, I'm really not going to judge this on the last sentence. Could have been better. It is a bad line, but like you say, it it's very difficult to put anything perfect there. That's a high-pressure line. Um, one thing they have done, though, is much to my genuine shock, like genuine genuinely stunned 
how much I enjoyed this episode and it kind of redeems the last couple of episodes just because in my head I've spent the last 15, 20 years thinking Only Fools and Horses ended perfectly then came back and cocked it up and actually it ended brilliantly they just kind of stumbled a bit on the way but this as an end it's great I, I take it all back it's brilliant yeah um, probably have to in agree with you entirely uh, I'm not sure that I would have chosen this end over the other end fair <laughs> ha- <laughs> however I have the reason I haven't ever watched these episodes again is because the stubborn part of me was like it should never have happened I at some point deep in the back of my memory don't remember not really liking the episodes and either not remembering or forgetting or not paying attention to how it properly ended and just thinking that it was a a less tidy bow to the end having those last two episodes genuinely being just not up to the bar that only fools has set and not not just for the episodes but for the specials the the things that they've done with the specials when they've given themselves an hour or more to do they've been brilliant and momentous and those last two episodes weren't that they they did not use their time well things were not executed very well and the episodes just were not as enjoyable as other episodes this episode used its time fantastically it mm-hmm. brought up brilliant jokes in the first half an hour there's almost not really much of a plot in the first half an hour and i think that's what i quite liked about it is it was just living in that only fool's world in the main characters in the side characters going down the pub having some of the problems like it's not been over elaborized and it and we're just sort of building up as a great word i just made up (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad we agree and and yeah, and they've they've ridden that only fool's wave of good, funny jokes of loads and loads of feels and a believable, plausible storyline that has just you know, been not too sweet and not too salty. And yeah, I'm I'm really, really happy to end this episode and our series on that episode because it has been recovered and I'm properly happy that this can end the series, the show and our project on this note because that episode was genius. It was everything that the last episode needed to be very pleasantly surprised and glad to have ended this on a good note I will definitely add this to my repertoire of episodes I rewatch occasionally I think it totally belongs in there if I've you know got an hour an hour and a half and wanted to watch a special you know and, and um, 
I didn't fancy one of the ones I know really well, like a Jolly Boys or a Hull and Back or whatever, and I wanted something a bit out there. This is great. I'll watch this again, and you know, every now and then, and I will enjoy it every time, I'm sure. And I just, I won't bother with the other two because I don't enjoy them, and I don't have to watch them to enjoy this episode. I think it's, uh, everything was wrapped up very nicely. This episode did all the things we like. It touched on all the relationships brilliantly. We got all the side characters were there. And in a really nice way, they weren't shoehorned in, but they actually really felt part of the furniture. And they felt like they added to the plot and to everything, which is what they were always meant to do. We had you know moments between Rodney and Cassandra. We had moments between Cassandra and Raquel. We had moments between Dell and Raquel, Rodney and Dell. Everyone kind of got their bit, but not in a way that felt like it was contrived. Like someone sat down and gone, right, we need to make a scene for these two and these two and these two. It We just got that, but in a, nat- in a way that felt really natural and gave us everything we wanted. And and that is that is brilliant. It's absolutely perfect. Because even Time on Our Hands, which we waxed lyrical about for who knows how long that actually didn't do that I mean we talked about how there were many things that weren't touched on in that episode um, you know Raquel and Cassandra especially for example and and this episode kind of corrected some of the things that that episode actually didn't quite get right so brilliant I just I can't really fault it there may be not as many huge laughs as some episodes but some episode, many episodes didn't have huge belly laughs throughout, but they're still great episodes of telly, and this is one of those. I kind of want to go back and watch the other two. I'm in no rush to see them again. No, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that my opinion is going to be largely the same, but I kind of want to like test myself now because. I don't know. I I feel like I had such a bitter taste in my mouth about it that even through my genuine attempts to try and see good, maybe I wasn't doing, and maybe they're... I, I would say that they are possibly and probably not quite as weak as I or we made out, but not definitely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I am curious if... if and maybe I, my uh, center would be a bit, a bit more centered, having sort of gone through that and and had all the fluffies of this episode. Now, I, I'm pretty sure that the the broad strokes of my opinions are going to be fairly well held, but but maybe I'd be a little bit lighter on them um, after this. I I don't know if that's a good thing to do, if that makes sense or if that's like transferring the goodness of this episode onto the last two, but there's a psychology there somewhere. I I totally get that. And that, that is a thing. I mean, there are plenty of, you know, there are entire TV shows that say several series of it are rubbish. Um, but then once you kind of get into it, you can go back and enjoy the kind of the early ones. Um, and there could be an element of that, but, I approached all three of these episodes in the same way. I was hoping this one would be good, but my expectations were incredibly low as they were with the other two. And yet I had a completely different experience. I don't think I approached this one any differently than I did the other two. I think it was 
just a much better experience. And uh, yeah, again, this is a, another one that's maybe a bit like um, Fatal Extraction, where we both loved it, and yet I don't think I hear anyone talk about this episode. Well, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to mention it, because... I don't know. I f- I f- I'm very confident in our opinions as us. I I don't believe that. <laughs> I'm confident in my opinion for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I I I'm confident that what what we've said and done is true to what our tastes are. But everyone has different tastes. Like someone loves the last episode, then that's cool. That's played into the things that they liked. They're entitled to that opinion. I I don't necessarily think that they are wrong it's just that our tastes are slightly different and that's absolutely fine but i'm confident that the things that we like and the things that we've talked that are good and bad this episode hit those points but one thing i just checked out while you were monologuing a bit then was uh the ratings for the episodes to see and unbelievably and and i don't want to say it the last episode uh as far as the public is concerned on imdb is rated ever so slightly higher than this episode um the first episode was i think 7.4 out of 10 which is pretty low and then 8.1 on imdb for the previous and 8 for this so it's pretty negligible but for me putting those in the same class is fairly unimaginable but i'm i'm quite yeah. surprised to see it yeah no, that is it, that just goes to show how much that like you say people want different things from from a show and in a way it shows how good the show is that it can appeal to an audience that expect completely different and want completely different things i think we definitely enjoy the kind of uh emotional family aspect of the show a lot and maybe that was missing a lot in, in that previous episode. And this and Fatal Extraction had it as well, and that's clearly something we look for. But yeah, there's. I look forward to this uh, our our final episode where we kind of go through and talk about episodes we like. And I'm going. One of the things I'm going to do in preparation for the episode is is try and nail down more of like my my favourites and maybe see the similarities and then look at how other people view those episodes and see if I can't come up with some kind of an interesting uh, uh, kind of academic research article at the end of it. <laughs> well, you've made that sound really interesting. No one's going to listen to it now, mate. Cheers. <laughs> well, all jokes aside, that is that is it. That is the uh, the conclusion of only fools and horses and only fools and brotherly forces doing it as we said uh as a reminder send us a message like if you haven't done yet now's the time to do it ask us some questions tell us your thoughts on the episode and the show and and you know get in touch as we said we are going to do a a summary episode that will be what you'll be listening to next wednesday uh, we're going to have a little break after that. We actually haven't missed a single week for 70 episodes. So just over a year, we've managed to not miss a beat. So I think we can be uh, pretty proud of that. I think a few things that have happened this year may have helped us to keep that schedule, which is you know, a, a positive as far as the project is concerned. 
Um, <laughs> but but I'm really proud that we've managed to get through this. So uh, yay, well done us. Woo. But yeah, we'll have a break of just just a week. We're just gonna have a week to ourselves and uh, and 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 not have to watch and certainly me edit the episode. And then after a week's break, you can join us for Rock and Chips. Uh, we might well be doing that also uh, bi-weekly. We'll have to see how the the schedules go, but you might be giving ourselves a little bit of extra time off. Um, but I am properly excited off the off the back of going through this weekly week in week out to get into rock and chips which you've seen it once as well yeah you've seen the whole thing once i'm pretty sure i watched the whole thing i definitely watched a couple of episodes and i've just there's three and i i feel i've got a mental feeling i somehow didn't get around to watching the last one but that just seems so unlike me I'm pretty sure I haven't finished it. I'm pretty sure I didn't watch all of them. So I'm not sure, but uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. I think they're all. Um... So yeah, looking looking at them now, they've got um, run times of an hour and a half, and then two episodes of an hour. So I'm thinking they're probably going to be long episodes for us. So maybe rather than doing uh, split episodes and releasing every week, maybe we'll do them bi-weekly. But then they'll all be quite bumper long episodes. Uh, that might be a way we do it, but uh, we shall see. Yeah, and then uh, looking ever so slightly into the future of even that, um, we'll be deciding in the coming weeks uh, what and and where this goes. We are... I think if should have been one of those questions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we are toying with the idea of of different projects and um not come hard not come hard down on anything yet but um we are keen to get our teeth into something but uh but hoping some inspiration will come to us so that's a very royal we there (laughs) (laughs) I, i i'm both fascinated by the idea of something new yet as i said at the beginning of this episode as a completionist starting something new that i know will carry on for a year plus also terrifies me so uh that is it for now until next week's bit of fun for the summary and rocking chips to come thanks for this ridiculous journey and listening to obscene amounts of hours of us talking absolute bullshit the Closing music for this is ridiculously random, but something that means quite a lot to to me and and to Bobby. Um, I, I for the record, I have no idea where he's going with this. <laughs> we 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 are all experiencing this at the same time for seemingly no reason at all, but for lots of reasons, we're going to be played out by. Always look on the bright side of life by Monty Python. This is a hat tip to um, our father, who out of nowhere at one point ran some different things uh, in pubs and clubs and would always end on this as his good night and his farewell. And for some reason, this is all I could think about throughout the last couple of days I thought about a way to play us out it's a brilliant tune and something that I 
sort of hold in my life is a, a good thing to think of and it is obviously always also a, a an outstanding British comedy and, and one of the pioneers for um, British comedy as we know it so for me it kind of just worked as a nice full circle and uh, and just kind of was personal to us so hopefully uh, hopefully you feel that Bob well yeah what a random choice I think it's great what an absolute tune by uh, the absolute legend that is Eric Idle um, a, a great way to, to play us out lovely it has been a pleasure as always Jamie and everyone and I hope you join us for a bit of silliness and more off the cuff talking of complete bollocks next week it's going to be fun cheers everyone speak to you soon take it easy thanks very much for listening to the podcast if you'd like to get in touch with us you can find us on facebook forward slash only fools brothers or on twitter we're at only fools bros or if you want to send us a longer message you can email us at only brothers at gmail.com also really appreciate it if you could give us some sort of rating or review on your podcast app of choice Thanks very much. Goodbye. So always look on the bright side of death. Just before you draw your terminal breath. Life's a piece of shit when you look at it. Life's a laugh and death's a joke, it's true. You'll see it's all a show, keep them laughing as you go. Just remember that the last laugh is on you.